Well, welcome once again, everyone, to another edition of Rinky Dinking. I'm Daryl Ray. With me, as always, the great Mike Heike. Michael, are you hey, there? I'm here. It's hard to believe. And, Technology. Uh, yes, and the the uh, wonderful millennial uh, Jeff Totes, who's struggling more than many, I think, in this isolation <laughs> world that we're in right now. Uh, you doing okay? I'm doing okay. This podcast is all I have to look forward to. (laughs) Well, that is an awful life that you're living right now then. Uh, We are not doing this with video this week because the audio issues we're not able to overcome with video. So we continue to retreat back to the uh, 1918-1919 version of this, I guess. I defend myself for a second. This is a podcast, right? Yeah. What do we need video for? Well, it's the it's the interaction between the different entities that are involved in this. Oh, eye contact. I eye contact is so important, Michael. I guess it is. Although I I think on the uh, news I'm watching, nobody's getting eye contact. Oh yeah, they're all social distancing. With their eyes. <laughs> Nobody can see the other person. Come on. That's true. Uh, hey, how are we holding up, by the way? I have never been clean. I'll tell you guys that right off the top. Uh, my house has never been cleaner. Yeah? My uh, lovely wife uh, put a uh, weekend uh, cleaning binge on, and so that's what we've been doing. Yeah, I think it's probably everybody out there listening to this is doing the same thing, where every nook and cranny is going to be clean by the end of all of this. How is young Mr. Totes done? Yep, same boat as Heike. Uh, I'm in a 500-foot studio apartment, and I've gotten to know every square foot of it very well over the past week. It is very clean. There you go. So, uh, you know, our, our sacrifice is real, obviously. <laughs> we, have, we have to stay at home and clean. The uh, I wanted I wanted to touch on the news that broke late last week, that the two gyms, uh, CEO of the SARS, Jim Lights, and, and the general manager, Jim Nill, both uh, with true sacrifice and, uh, and wonderful, selfless uh, gestures for the organization. They both took 50% pay cuts to their salary. Uh, it helps, obviously, owner Tom Gillardi. It helps keep the downline of people uh, in place. Uh, and that's what this is is going to be and is, and that is that it's people helping people, right? That's what it's all about? Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, it's, what's interesting about all this is, you know, there, there was news trickling out of different organizations having to either lay people off or pause their paycheck. And, and you know, this is, like you say, people down the line, people, you know, who are doing daily work. Um, who aren't under contract, who, you know, can have their salary or their paycheck paused. And so, you know, as much as I do think it does help, you know, Tom Gillardi and everybody else, I think it's an effort more on their part to make sure that this organization doesn't have to do that immediately. And, you know, we'll see what happens in the future. Obviously, everything's up for change, but uh, I thought it was an incredible gesture. Yeah, and and not surprising, right, at all, uh, if you know the two men and the leadership that they have provided here uh, a little longer with uh, with Jim Lights, obviously, who's been here 
from the day they well, not off and on. I know he went away, but pretty much since day one when the team moved down from Minnesota, and you know we're working toward a decade of of uh, Jim Nill in the chair as general manager. So um, that stability it it pays off at times, right? That kind of leadership and and those types of uh, just humans. Uh, to be able to do that. So that, that was, that was a nice thing. Yeah. And you're right, Mike, it will, we'll see where this goes as it goes forward. Uh, and you, you know, it's, you have to stay away from the news you try to focus on <laughs> the little glimpses of good news and, uh, and the positivity from I- any corner of this thing that you can find it. Right. Yeah, and you know, I think the other thing I think it signals, and uh, both Jim Nill and Jim Lights talk about building family within their structure. You know, Jim Jim Lights on the the ticket selling side and the marketing side, and Jim Nill on the hockey operation side. And and I definitely think people, you know, uh, feel that from their leadership, and you know, it, it makes a big difference. Well, I I was thumbing through trying to find quotes and what have you that that are, uh, I guess, in line or, or fitting for these moments and that. I love words, and I love <laughs> I love quotes. Is it Epictetus? Is that how you pronounce the uh, great uh, philosopher from years gone by? We I cannot choose. Come on. <laughs> okay, we cannot yes, choose exactly our right. external circumstances, but we can always choose how we respond to them. I believe, believe that was Epictetus, and I believe I'm pronouncing that properly. I thought that. I was believe the, a lot of things, though, Mike. <laughs> I thought that was LeBron James. Well, it might have been too. From <laughs> the the top always tells me when he's always uh, quoting that he says yeah, LeBron said. <laughs> I know. I should probably be quoting Little Nas X more so than <laughs> Epictetus. Uh, that's so, a modern day philosopher. Oh, is it? Who is your is. go-to philosopher, by the way? There, <laughs> I mean, Lil Nas X is up there for sure. I can't. I'm waiting for him to issue a statement to for me in these times, just to get you through, just to get me through. Yeah, maybe maybe Lil Yachty too. Uh, nah, we're we're past him. Maybe Drake. Common. <laughs> I don't know about common. <laughs> Common's for the old people, Daryl. He's an actor now. Anyway, a bit outdated. Uh, yeah. Well, hey, we we all find our motivation where we can, right? <laughs> so, uh, I listened to an awful lot of your music actually on the weekend. We had an epic. Speaking of Epictetus, we had an epic uh, cornhole tournament uh, uh, in my backyard. A family uh, version of it. And uh, the girls picked the playlist. Oh, what did we hear? Oh, my Lord. No, no, no. No, no. I'm not running through it. Uh, <laughs> but it would have been the soundtrack of basically your life there, Jeff Totes. Good stuff. So it was, yeah, it was, it was fine. It was, we mixed in a little, you know, you got a little bit of my 80s in there every now and then, but there was an awful definitely, lot of. Definitely other. some Post Malone. Oh, there's a lot of Posty, yeah. A lot of feet. Yeah. There was a lot of feet in uh, parentheses on a lot of the nice. tracks. So you know it was good. That's when you know it's good on Spotify, when it's feet. All right. Mike doesn't know what you're talking about. What's that? <laughs> Mike doesn't know what you're talking about. I honestly do not. <laughs> Mike. Mike, 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 Mike. Come on. 
Uh, look, it's all good. You, you know, you look, there's a song, and then there's a parenthesis, and then in there, F-E-A-T period, and then some other names. And then, ah, so that's their track, but featured on the track, feet is short for featured, because you know how these people work, right? There's That's too much effort to say the entire word, featuring. So you just go with feet. And uh, and then the the line of other people that you know, chime in on it, boom! There you have it. There you go. Drop that. Bam. <laughs> uh, okay. Speaking of dropping things, old games are being replayed, and a lot of them, right? Like it doesn't matter where you go on the soch, uh, people are are pimping their old games and and rewatching them and commenting on them, everything else. Honestly, I, I've watched a few of these. Not that I haven't in past, but you watch a little bit more now. And how did I'll, I'll pose this question? How did anyone watch in standard definition? <laughs> it, it's a it's a new game changer. It's so funny because we still have the standard channel, so you can turn on FSSW on standard and go, oh oh oh, I'm on the wrong channel here. And so you know it's. It's night and day. Well, I mean, we watched them on little black and white TV. So, I mean, if you go back as far as I do, so. Totes and I don't go back that far. But tell us about (laughs) that. Tell us about that, how (laughs) how it went right after the First World War. (laughs) It was great, Daryl. We could see moving pictures on a box in our living room. It was fantastic. Well, I actually have a a theory. I don't know whether uh, our young 20-ish Totes has has done, because he is an image maker and and deal breaker is what we refer to him as. And yeah. he, uh, have you watched any of these things in standard def? Yeah, but not, not too far back. I mean, just like early 2000 stuff. It's amazing how like even a game from 2008 looks so outdated and old school. It's crazy. It is. And I'll tell you how people got through it back in the day. If you're talking like, uh, late 90s or even late late 80s around that era because there were stories, there were a lot of stories, and there were replays, and there were a lot of long involved replays, and there was violence. And when you couple those three things together, uh, you, you ended up, because the game stopped so much, you could show our game a little, little closer up a little more often than you can now. Now, I'm not saying that it was any way better than what it is now. That's insane. Like nowadays, it's super fast, and the images are are startling. They're so crisp. But at the same time, you need you need to slow down a little bit uh, in order to capture things and see things and explain things and tell things. And that's where, even though the images on television weren't great, I, I think what we provided was still pretty solid entertainment. By we, I mean everybody involved. Agreed? Yeah, definitely. Uh, in watching some of these, it's it just – you and I talk about the, the time for the analyst to interject. And, you know, anybody who's followed the sport and the broadcast industry over the last 10 or 15 years, all they can talk about is shorten the game, shorten the game, shorten the game. And, yeah. and yeah. sometimes that, you know, hurts the product. Um, you know, especially from the analyst chair, where you, you don't get to tell the stories that you used to tell. And no, us. I mean, right. I, I right. enjoyed writing for a newspaper. I enjoyed picking up a newspaper in the morning and 
and you know having yeah but but mike aren't you almost the other way around where back then you were given a certain number of inches and you had to fit your story in there where yeah, now but, you can write and it can go on for days right yeah, on the digital I, world i think sometimes having the 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 you know the editor confinement telling, yeah i think yeah. it sometimes made your story better you could blow through some of those stories in 7 8 minutes and then you'd read every single one. I just I remember we'd be up in those Edmonton series, uh, and we were up there five or six times. And you know, you just collected all the newspapers. You got the clips from the PR department, and sat down for a good morning breakfast or coffee or something. And it, it was a different time. And like I said, and with you, I, I you know I don't get to watch all the games, but uh, it's fun going back. I hear your voice on on Stanley Cup Finals from years back or playoff games from years back on NHL Network that weren't even Dallas Stars games. And and, and I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, I am cool, Mike. You are. And uh, <laughs> provided a lot of coolness back in the day. Yeah, I forget sometimes some of those uh, series and games that I did. Uh, you know, like I, I was extremely fortunate. Uh, like I, at one point, I think I was a broadcaster on like three or four of the five or six longest games in Stanley Cup history. Uh, when I was working for for uh, ESPN and and versus and and that this is back when the games would go on forever, and I was very fortunate. I got to work with Doc Emmerich and do uh, base the first series showdown between uh, Ovechkin and Crosby in in the uh, late aughts, and that was. You know, when you think back to it, you're just like, you know, the games are going on. You're doing your job. You don't really think that much of it. And then you realize who those two players are going to be for all time. And it was the first time they matched up against one another. Uh, it, it was, you know, as you get a little distance from it, it becomes, a, I, I think, a little more special than it was in real time. Uh, and the pace, the, the, you know, if you look back to those, the, the pace was fine. Uh, I, I think people sometimes get overblown on the let's go a million miles an hour in today's game. But the the thing that I love that I keep hearing from people that rewatch these games uh, in North America, the, the chippy animosity is missed, you know. And and maybe it's just we haven't seen playoff hockey this year, so our our remembrance of of playoff hockey has to go all the way back, you know, a calendar year, and not that the regular season doesn't get a little bit uh, off the rails from time to time. We just replayed on Fox Sports Southwest that game in in, uh, Glendale that was like old school NHL and and a lot of games. But, man, you got into those playoff series. You mentioned Edmonton. Like, those were just – those weren't even legal. Like, Like, people should have gone to jail for stuff that went on in those games. And it was great. It was so it was fun. awesome. I, mean, I know we you know you don't want to just glorify violence because we're trying to become a kinder, gentler society. But the, there, that was legislated violence. You know where there were uh, policemen on the ice to help things from getting too far out of hand. Uh, but it was great. It, it just showed the intensity of how much each player wanted it on every single shift. Yeah. And you're talking about you know double, triple overtimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, which these guys are exhausted, and they're still putting everything into it. Like I, I can't, you know, I can't 
collect all of the last year or two, but how many fights have we actually seen in the playoffs? It just doesn't seem like a ton. And then you look back to Kelly Buckberger and Darian Hatcher, and it's just like, oh, it's game three. Uh, this is their third fight or whatever. And, you know, it, the captains are going to go, and they're going to set the tone, and this is important to both of them. And well, yeah, I mean, it, you go back you know, these, to 90, just go back to the 99 final, Joe Neuendijk fought Brian Holzinger in yeah. game two. I mean, this was important, and and you know, I'm sure it's important to these guys now. But you can just feel that. Oh, through the there's TV no question. Screen. It's important. It, it's a different kind. It, it, you know, you hear that old adage a lot, and we've we've had it uh, ingrained in our foreheads through the years because many of the people that have come through this organization. But uh, you know, you had will ahead of skill, and it really was that. You know, you're. And it, I think it still is today. It's just that you have to have a lot of skill in order to impose your will now. Whereas I think before you could get away with more will uh, over top of skill and and uh, triumph that way. Am I right? Or am I? Not? I think so. No, I, I definitely think so. And 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 I think it was in addition to the coaches coaching that way and, you know, giving you quote unquote systems that would allow that style to be successful. Your, your teammates were pushing you. I, I did a story on Guy Carboneau when he went into the hall of fame and I talked to Blake Sloan and Blake Sloan said he took his first shift and thought he was doing just great. And he was on a line with Carbo and, and he said, Carbo just tore him up and down. So you didn't do this right. You didn't do that right. You didn't do this right. And there was this feeling among teammates that, you know, we're going to the weakest link. We're going to lift him up, and everybody's going to get better because we're all going to make each other better. And maybe it was that was just a special team because uh, there were I mean, six Hall of Famers and yeah. former captains and all that kind of stuff. But I just remember the feeling that you didn't want to let your teammates down. Like you, you know, this is uh, Brett Hall is, is a great player, and I think he understands the game as well as anybody. But him coming into that locker room. He didn't want to let those guys down. And as much as he had his own attitude and his own you know, way of doing things, uh, he would get in line for Mike Keene or Guy Carboneau because he respected them that much. Yeah, I, I bet you find that on pretty much every championship caliber team, though, right? Yeah, uh, probably. Just, just the, the teams that, that flounder and, and don't make playoffs just don't have that as their you know main form of dna within their their group and and championship clubs do that the ability to play not only play for one another but hold each other accountable which you're speaking of yeah and that that is when you have something truly special going on i uh i watched what was what did i watch the other night 87 stanley cup final oilers i was there oilers and uh and philadelphia flyers and again, like it, it is, it is nasty. And but you watch players like Gretzky, and you watch Wayne, and you watch the amount of hooking that goes on <laughs> from him. You know, I mean that that was the nature of the game. But you know, people want to say and try to compare players now and players then. And you know, you have you have the Ovechkin story trying to chase down wings uh scoring records and that man it was you you had to fight your way through some areas of the ice and then in other ways it was so wide open because of the way teams uh defended they'd come back some guys would come back this is a stanley cup final some guys are coming back into their own zone and there's just 
acres of open ice. Like nobody's closing on the guy that has the pot. Right. You know, so there was so much more time and space, time and space, yep. which you've heard through the years, everyone, every coach, every seminar, you know, they, you got to take time and space away from them. And they've, they've taken it to the uh, robotic degree in, in the game now. But if you rewind back to then, it was very uh, balletic. Uh, and I, I think the pace of the game, although nowhere near as fast as it is now, right? And and yet it was it was still quick, and you still had to, for the most part, you had to be able to to skate a little bit. But what it did is it because it wasn't breakneck. I, I think it allowed your best players to play longer. That was one of the uh, things that the one of the offshoots, if you will, of the game back then was, uh, you know, you didn't have your best players play twenty minutes and go forty seconds a shift. Your best players played probably 25 plus in a regular game, uh, up in the probably high 20s, and shifts sometimes would be well. They, you know, look the the shifts of Alexander Radulov would be the norm. You know, <laughs> like yeah, like a, a minute 14, a minute 30, uh, and then a shift off, and then right back out there again. There, there was a lot of that. And then one other thing I'll say about about watching these these old games and reminiscing and realizing this went on and that went on was much more of the game then uh, was faced inward. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. If you watch the game now, the game for the most part is is faced outward. Uh, it's pushed to the boards, and a lot of guys protect the puck and cycling along the boards, and guys' faces are facing the glass. You go back to the to the eighties and nineties, and for the most part, everyone everyone's facing the middle of the rink. Uh, you know, every now and then you go back for a puck and you take a hit. They fight along the boards, yes, but then they're always almost instantly trying to work the puck into the middle of the rink and use the middle of the rink uh, and and get it into those areas. And I think I just personally believe it's a better game when the middle of the rink is available than four feet along the boards for you know forty minutes. It's funny. I've always had this theory that Darcy Tucker did a great job of screening goalies because he worked behind the goalie and could see the shooters. So he'd be behind the net looking at his teammates, and then he'd kind of buzz out in front a lot. Yeah, do you remember that? Or am I remembering this wrong? Yeah, yeah, I know it. Yeah, yeah just, little I, covert operations. Yeah, and I just thought that was a great way of, one, because the goalie doesn't know where you're coming from, and two, you're looking at your teammates right in the eyes and, and having an opportunity to, you know, see where the puck's going to go, flash in front. I don't know. It was just an interesting thing. But to your point, the game back then allowed the intelligent players to really use their smarts because they yeah. they could let the game come to them. They could take their time. They could pick their spots, so to speak, mm-hmm. where, you know, you're out there for a minute 20, and sometimes you're going full bore, and sometimes you're not. Sometimes you're just kind of coasting around waiting for something to happen or, or looking for your opening, you know, right. Wayne, Wayne used to say, you know, uh, the, when you're, you know, when you're away from the puck, that's when you're sometimes the most dangerous or Brett Hall or, you know, or, yeah. or Bobby Hall or whatever, but they, they use that intelligence to find those spots in the ice um, because they could, because they weren't going 40 second shifts, you know, just go, 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 go. They, they had time to little, you know, weave in and out and find open spots in the ice. Yeah. You, you hear that term work, uh, you know, everybody works hard. I, right. The idea that anybody is dogging it in today's NHL is 
is just a lie. Uh, but does everybody work smart? <laughs> I would say no. There's a fraction that do. And back then, it really exposed. And, and to your point, the the best players worked smart. Like they're not going to waste a ton of time with this stuff or that stuff or back checking. I mean, they back check <laughs> to a certain point, and then when they realized they couldn't get the puck, it was like, well, I'm not going to chase all the way back there and have no gas left to go the other direction. Why would I do that? Right. And it was it was allowed in the game then. You know, it wasn't frowned upon. Whereas now, it doesn't matter who you are as a player, you're expected to play, quote-unquote, a 200-foot game. And I tend to believe that the game would be better if you allowed that small portion of, you know, uber-elite players to just focus on going one direction. And there's a reason why you have a goalie back there. Let them try to stop pucks for you and then go. I'll give you another one. There's a reason why you have a skilled defense. Remember what Zuboff or Lidstrom or, or Niedermeyer could do? Think of Haskinen in that environment where, all right, we're going to trust you that you're going to get the puck, you're going to secure the puck, you're going to move the puck to one of our forwards, and we're going to go the other direction. And they did it. Zuboff did mm. that. You know, and, and Haskinen, I think, could do the same thing if, if you just trust him enough to go, you know, all right, this is on you, kid. You, you're going to do this. I think he has the one talent and two the confidence and, and mental strength to, to you know help you get uh, outman numbers offensively so it'd be interesting to watch if, if he played in those days yeah well we can't do that mike that's impossible i'm working on a time machine in my uh, yeah you're working <laughs> on a lot of things so speaking of time Uncle Rico. Machine, let's uh, let's kiss goodbye to the rewind machine and let's let's gaze our eyes forward again Shally. But first, uh, let's make uh, Totes Magoats useful here. A little musical interlude, if you would, please. Okay, so a uh, wonderful trip down memory lane uh, for us anyway. Maybe not you out there. Uh, maybe some of you. I'm sure a lot of you. That's why we're doing this during the pause. The uh, the league is at some point going to hit play again. We Nobody knows when. Uh, we don't know if on this season. All that stuff obviously on the back burner right now is – the world tries to heal itself more than anything else. So um, as we go forward, what do you think about this? I mean, there are a myriad of ideas growing by the day uh, as to how every sport is going to restart themselves and conduct the remainder of their seasons uh, for those that have, that have stopped. And uh, what do you think of this? Do you go with a summer tournament? Just it, it's it it's looking likely if there's going to be any conclusion to the season, the 2019-20 season, that it's going to be a summertime conclusion. And by summer, I mean like July, August. Uh, what what if uh, they put together some kind of a summer tournament? Maybe three or four cities where it gets held, and it would be like a World Cup or an Olympic tournament. Some kind of a large-scale uh, multi-venue, and TV would drive it. 
uh, not knowing what's going to be allowed and how you're going to get people back in and that, but television certainly uh, can be in there. You can stick cameras in there and, uh, and shoot the thing and put out a world feed. Does that make any sense? I definitely do. You know, it's funny because I think TV and you guys can speak to this more than I can, but what does TV do if indeed the NBA, the NHL, Major League Baseball, and football all want airwave time? You know, and whoever yeah, else that, wants to get back. It'll be a struggle. The, you know, they're only so. That, that's the thing. Like, as much as everyone's going to want to play immediately whenever they're allowed to play again, there aren't enough. I was talking to somebody in the uh, higher ups in the business and made a good point that there, there are not enough trucks to do that. Like you have to have it uh, uh, like to have dedicated trucks, these, these trucks that back into buildings or stadiums and the broadcast emanates out of there. And that, that basically it's a mobile uh, studio, uh, the backside of a, of a studio show where your producer and your director and graphics and tape rooms and all that stuff is going on. Well, you're probably going to have to uh, split the, and maybe the best idea is to be able to just, you know, move one of those trucks into this, you know, venue A and play a tournament style uh, games there, feed that out to the various uh, different uh, stations where, you know, we as the broadcasters, I guess, could call the game and not be there uh, as they do in the Olympics. And they started doing a couple of Olympics ago, especially with the winter Olympics. And maybe, maybe that's something that works looking forward. It's going to be interesting. I mean, the other thing is, is, you know, it is going to be interesting. It is going to be interesting. Uh, That, you know, the other thing I think is just trying to squeeze all this in. It does affect how, what format you can use as much as we'd like to play four rounds of seven. It may not be possible, not only from a time wise of, can we get this done in June, July and August or whatever? uh, Can we get it done in a manner that people will watch and people will consume this uh, product? And so you're right. I mean, I I think there's a lot like it. I was just kind of spitballing a couple of weeks ago about this, that, and the other. And you're like, no, 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 you need to start thinking about a few things. Uh, Mm -hmm. I was talking to to a a person who said, you know, the, uh, the work visas end on July 1. So now does the NHL restructure contracts? Do people from other countries get to stay here and participate? I mean, there's a hundred different things. You know, uh, how how are they going to, if you can be an unrestricted free agent, do you opt out? Do you sit there and say, hey, my contract's supposed to be over, uh, you know, or does the NHL and the Players Association yeah, come but agree? Don't, but, you think, uh, don't you think that would be a fairly easy, um, not easy maybe, but uh, fairly simple uh, you know all these all these numbers, all these dates just get moved forward, and then the what used to be July one is now September one. Yeah, you know what I mean. Sense. Yeah, and, like and, and on be the able to do it that way outside of government. I'm just talking league wide or right. wise. Uh, I don't think that'd be that that difficult to get things pushed. We've, we're 
I think they began thinking about that from minute one when this broke out. So, yeah, and, and with the government's focus on the economy, it would behoove them to help whatever industry it is make money. So there you go, exactly. And I'll be honest with you, my my thesis from way back when, and and this I don't know how long ago I I uh, concocted this idea, but the idea was I'm sure it was it was '04 when right after the Stanley cup and there was a labor dispute and it wasn't going to be a season and you start thinking and it gave everyone a, a chance to rethink things. And uh, one of the things I thought about was hockey should, should switch to summer. And a part of that, I think the, the uh, impetus for it in my little P mind was okay. Very similar to now, if if this thing starts up in the spring, then how do you, you know, are we going to play on into the summer and through the summer for the Stanley Cup playoffs? Well, uh, they didn't end up playing at all that year. But the, my, my idea and my thesis on this was that you would have a, a physical sport, a contact sport with a finesse sport, those pairings in each of the seasons. So you'd have the physicality of hockey along with the finesse of the boys of summer in baseball. And then you'd flip it over and you'd have the physicality of football along with the finesse of basketball thoughts. I think you, I, it, when you came up with it, I thought it was a brilliant idea. I mean, you look at all the, but now it's watch- faded. Is that what you're going to no, say? I think, it, I, think it was, I think it, I still think it's a fantastic idea. Even now. Darryl. Oh, well, thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. <laughs> but, I mean, you look at all the problems we have with the Olympics and can we do this and can we do that? And, like this would be a great solution to a lot of problems that face the NHL. And because we have, you know, high tech arenas that can function in the hundred degree heat, uh, they would be great, and then I think coming inside for the sport uh, in the in the summertime would be great for the fans. Uh, so there's just a lot of pluses on how they can do this, and you you hate to sit there and say, okay, we're the little brothers, and and you know we can't compete with the NBA because I do think they can. But if you remove that competition from your viewership, I do think the opportunity to to spread the good word of hockey becomes great. Yeah, and I mean, you're not within the arenas. You're not folding over each other, right? That was the other part of it for me. That you know, like one night the Mavericks are in there, the next night we're in there, the next night there's a concert in there, then there's the Mavericks, then there's you know what I mean? Like it goes, yep. it goes on like that, and their floor affects our ice, our ice affects their floor, and you can flip it the other way and does it make any sense where you have uh, hockey running in the summertime in there where people in especially in southern states could enjoy a little uh, air conditioning and uh, you maybe you could uh, and fill the other days with more concert events and what have you I don't know yeah. Well, even well, the uncertainty. Grade, but. I was going to say, even the uncertainty of having an NBA and NHL playoff in the same arena, you know, <laughs> is, is really yeah. hard. So you, let's, uh, let's remove that. I went on. I go on with my boys on on the ticket on Friday mornings, and I I was on, and I told they wanted you know just some stories from past, and uh, I so I told them the story of the 1988 
uh, Stanley Cup final in Boston. Yep. And I was there. I was the essentially a early stages e-bug uh, for the Edmonton Oilers uh, as I was the third goaltender. But I'd forgotten that uh, that the game in Boston was like when the lights went out, if, in case you missed it, the, the cliff note versions of this, the game three in Boston, or pardon me, game four in Boston, the lights went out with a few minutes left in the second period and the game tied. And so they just canceled the game. Like power went out. Like it, it was, it was 80 degrees uh, outside and it was just, it, it was stifling inside and the grid was overloaded, and boom, away it went. So the traveling circus of the Stanley Cup final in 1988 all went back to Edmonton. The Oilers got three home games in the first four games of the Stanley Cup final. They beat the Bruins 6-3 in the second game four. And that, by the way, that was the first time that teams had that impromptu picture with the Stanley Cup on the ice with everybody. You know that? I did not, but that, that was a Wayne. Makes that, sense. Was a, that was a Wayne Gretzky thing. So, and prior to that, they, you know, they paraded around with the cup and what have you, and then took it back in, into the dressing room, and the party ensued and interviews. But Wayne brought it to center ice and wanted a picture like when you're a kid at a tournament and you win the yeah. tournament. Everybody goes to center, and the parents grab a camera and you take a picture of the team. And that was his idea. And every team since 1988 has done that. He was probably they, inspired by Ruzioni on that. I don't they think. won the cup. What's that? It was an American idea. Wasn't he inspired by Ruzioni calling everybody up onto the podium? No, Wayne, I, wish, Wayne had I just seen that Wayne, video. I whispered in Wayne's <laughs> ear and told him that would be a good idea. <laughs> but, you are always the idea, man. Yeah. But it, the, the roundabout way of getting to, to the uh, topic that we were on, in, in game three in uh, Boston, it was, it was a double at Boston Garden. The, in the playoffs. The, the Celtics played uh, at a one against Dominique Wilkins in the, in the Eastern semifinal. Game seven went off at one. And then game three of the Stanley Cup final went that night. In late May, no way! Isn't that crazy? Yeah, you couldn't do that. Wild. You couldn't do the NHL game first because you could have so many overtimes. But yeah, you can certainly yeah. put an NBA game before an NHL game. Yeah, nuts! Just crazy. Dominic Wilkins so, wasn't that uh, Totes' hero when he was young? No, you remember me? <laughs> <laughs> the human uh, highlight reel wasn't that what he was called? I've seen highlights. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you have. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Uh, Anything else you got going on? <laughs> Me? Uh, no. Uh, you know, I, we're trying to do our best. I, I've been talking to a couple of players and, and coaches, and it's interesting. In we'll see what happens when they finally get to training camp. Um, but there was a belief that one, they were coming out of their six-game slump, uh, and two, that the way to come out of it is to concentrate on defense. And I know that fans don't want to hear that, but but I think the talk that they're having right now is maybe all that talk of goal scoring got into their heads. And so I found that interesting. I and mean, we'll see if that's what happens when they come back. Well, uh, my belief, my my, I've always believed that when you're in whatever side of the ledger your slump is, if you're allowing too many goals or if you're not scoring enough, the more that you focus on your need, 
the worse it gets. Yeah. And the, I, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer that if you're not scoring a lot of goals, that you should focus more on your defensive game, counterintuitive or whatever you want to call it. But the, the idea that if we're, hey, look, we can score one or two goals, we, we can do that. We just, right now, we can't score four or five. So why don't we just make sure that we don't give up anything at all and we'll get out of this that way? And instead of man, we got to find a way to score. We got to find a way to get a little more offense. We got to get some guys scoring, and then guys start gripping it harder and harder, and it seems to just feed upon itself and get worse and worse. So, um, good. I mean, I don't know how they can put that into practice for the next little while, but <laughs> well, I think what what Rick Bonus has done, and all the coaches, is he's given each coach an assignment. Uh, but they've watched a lot of their good games. Uh, you know, I know uh, the tendency is to watch the bad ones and see what they can improve on, but they watched a lot of their good games, and they're like, this was just natural. We just played. We played our game. We played defensively, and somehow the goals, enough goals came. So, you know, when we were playing well, we just played. We didn't really think. We just, you know, put. we went out on the ice, and we followed our game plan. We did the things we're supposed to do. And we didn't stress about things. And somehow, some way, the goals came and we won games. And I think they've looked at some of those games where that's happened. And it's funny because as we go back and watch the Arizona games and things like that, you're like, they had moments where they were horrible. Oh, my God, yes. Awful. <laughs> and then somehow, some way, they snap out of it. But even when they were horrible, they were only down one nothing or 2 nothing. And, you know, that was, I think – as, as, again, counterintuitive as it is to say, oh, yeah, we got out shot 20 to 3, uh, but we were only down one nothing, so that was a good period or whatever. Uh, I think they believe that they can weather the storms if they play that game that, quote, unquote, is natural. So we'll see. Yeah, I hope we see. Important <laughs> <laughs> time. Hey, I'll take I'll take a continue uh, you know spiral for a few more games uh, before they get out of it. Right now, I I don't really care. I just like to see them back and uh, competing and 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 the, the other thing I I think that'll be healthy for coaches is. And this goes to anybody who really locks in like like we do, for instance, and you're around it all the time. After a while, all you see are the negatives. Yes. Like, that's all you see. That's why it's, I think it's healthy for uh, managers, uh, and I don't know how coaches can do it, uh, but maybe they can find a way. But you, you, have to get, you have to get away from your team a little bit because all you will see individually – and collectively are the are the bad things, the negatives, uh, you know, the warts on on your game, and not the good things that you're doing. And that, that's where, when you go away and you come back, and that's why it's so healthy to talk to guys from other teams, right? Uh, because they, you know, we'll, we'll talk to other broadcasters or coaches from other teams, and you get, you know, they'll waltz in. We're in the middle of a six-game losing streak, and they're like, "Wow." Your team's good. Even at the beginning of the year, when they were going through that horrible start, uh, everyone, everybody, I mean, it was unanimous. We're like, this isn't you guys. Like, you guys are going to get out of this. Like, yeah. you're, you're, you're better than this. And you're like, you watch it every day, and you're like, I don't know that we are. Like, I, I keep watching this, and I keep waiting for it, too. And I see this, and I see that, and I see that, and that's not good enough. This is nowhere near good enough. And then all of a sudden they get out of it, and you're like, you know, those people saw – 
primarily the positives and the potential. And when you're there watching it every day under a microscope, after a while, all you see are warts. And that's why I think, depending on how long this pause is, it can be healthy and allow people to, you know, reflect and see there were way more positives than negatives and uh, move forward in that vein. Yeah, it's a really good mindset. I remember back in the day, fans would get all over Darian Hatcher and say he made this mistake or did that mistake or he was too slow. And then you'd walk into another arena and these guys are going like, oh, my gosh, he's one of the best defensemen in the league. And, you know, it, it was good to get that perspective when, you know, you have fans saying, oh, he's not doing this or he's not doing that, you know, to to understand that hockey people are like, uh, yeah, he's doing everything he's supposed to be doing. Um, so it, it's good to have those uh just uh, clearing the mind moment. Yeah, agreed. I got other stuff, but we'll save it for next. We need stuff next week, too. <laughs> save it. Uh, the importance of hands-free in the future is going to be a big one, I think. You remember as a kid? You remember the, as a kid. Now, Totsi, you still are one. Uh, yeah. Do you remember the first time? Do you ride a bike, by the way? Yes. Totes? Oh, you? Sorry. Yeah, I have a bike. Yeah, not a stationary bike. I mean, one that moves around in the world. Right, right. Yes. Okay. Do you remember the first time though, when you were a little kid and you learned how to ride a bike? First time you let go both hands. Terrifying. Yeah, and they, you start wobbling and then you grab it. Oh, yeah. So yes. scary. And then after, every time. and then after a while, you're every time you got on your ten speed. At least I did when I was cruising around Prince George with feathered back hair and bell bottom jeans. <laughs> I I would uh, you know you'd go no no hands on the handlebar ever really yeah right. when I was fourteen or fifteen I mean it was my main form of transportation and I was like you I mean you once you got up and running yeah you just stood up because it helped your back on the ten speed you just sat up in the seat and let it go did you have a, like a a push raft to get you across the creek to get you down <laughs> to where you'd get your vittles and what have you back then too or did did do you say crick? Yeah, that's what that's what we said in Michigan. <laughs> we loved the crick. We jumped off the roof, and we well, there you go. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> well, I was just I was just thinking when when the fans uh, come back to this game in the future and the not too near distant future, man, that interaction uh, and the ability to purchase and basically consume the game in person with out touching a lot of surfaces mm-hmm. is going to be important, right? Yeah. I would think. And, I mean, you can do it. You can probably do a lot of that now with Apple Pay and everything else where you don't you don't end up with uh, a, a lot of interaction. I mean, money's pretty much going away. Everyone pays with cards and debit cards and credit cards. And, and you just swipe your phone in front of a bar yeah, exactly. and you don't have to touch anything. And, I mean, even now, you go you go out in this environment right now, and it's like, well, how many – how many touch points are there going to be for me to go and pick up some milk, you know? True. And, and I, I think, I think going, I'm sure everyone around sports in general, let alone uh, humanity is figuring out how you can do more and more things without spreading uh, even the most uh, benign germs. So it makes sense. I mean, why not? Yeah, well, and we've got the time. Let's let's think of new ways yeah. to make things better. Hands free. That's I'm, as I hold my phone to my ear and do this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> all I'm because sure of sound quality for Jeff Totes. That's all it is. 
No, it's appreciate because, it. Because uh, I'm a fool and don't know how to operate. All right, uh, well here, Skype or whatever. Let, let, no, it's not your fault. It, Zoom. Zoom. I thought, that's what it is. Yeah, I thought Zoom. Zoom was like a dance class for us back in the day, or was that Zumba? <laughs> I was I was giving my daughter a hard time t- singing the song from the TV show. We're gonna zoom, 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 zoom. Do you remember that at all? I don't think it goes like that, but sure. It, it was a PBS show, and she's okay. like, what are you talking about? You know, Zoom, the TV show. All right. Do you have any advice for our podcast listeners so they get something out of this uh, week's show? All right. How about this one? Read a book. I know there's a lot of opportunities out there to watch TV, to consume video games, to uh, do whatever you're doing. But but go ahead and pick up a book, pick up a classic, pick up one you read in high school. Uh, well, pick, they're fun. Tell them tell them to read one. All right. Um, I like Breakfast of Champions by Kurt Vonnegut. Uh, it's a little spicy, you know. It's, it's Vonnegut writes to an older crowd, uh, um, but if you want to, uh, I've said you know, that for years. Vonnegut writes <laughs> to an older crowd. <laughs> but if you want to go pick up the boxcar children, like you read in, in elementary school, then uh, go do that. Uh, oh. They're at, like they're on my bookshelf. They've been sitting there for forty years, yeah. and I just I don't pick them up. But now I have an opportunity. I have sea stories right now uh, from William McRaven, Admiral McRaven. I like that. Yeah. My life in special ops. Don't you read? That guy. Do you want uh, someone to read to you? How does it work uh, with you? Yeah, it's uh, more Netflix-based. I would recommend uh, Ozark Season 3. I don't so know if I've adopted a novel from it yet. <laughs> <laughs> you could do that in your spare time. Though. Yeah, that could be you. You could transcribe <laughs> it in, in your lingo. <laughs> Yeah, and allow people to consume it that way. Why not? It's a visual story. We'll go okay. with that. All right. Well, that's on my list, too. Uh, I'll say this, and this, this really cuts to the heart of it all here. Remember to slip your jeans on once a week because elastic waistbands of shorts and sweats are the great deception. Sure, they're comfortable, very comfortable, too slide on in the morning and lounge around in, but they allow this stealthy and unhealthy expansion without any sort of check or balance going on. And then all of a sudden this is going to come to an end and you're going to have to try to squeeze yourself back into suits and jeans and it ain't going to happen. So try to keep some form of uh, physical fitness going and, uh, don't allow that waistband to expand beyond your beliefs. And it can. It'll sneak up to you slowly, real slowly, and then bam. That's sound advice. It is. Just put them on once a week. Once a week. And then you'll see, oh, man, there's a big muffin top hanging over the top <laughs> of those things. I might have to have more salads and maybe less chips, and maybe move around a little bit more this week. I don't know who you're addressing in this there podcast. You go. I'm, addressing, <laughs> I'm addressing everyone, Mike. All right, you boys stay uh, healthy, and uh, you, the Stars fan and rinky-dinking consumer, um, remember to embrace the Razor Boy COVID oxymoronic creed as you continue your social distancing. Let's all come together. By staying apart. Talk to you next week. 
feel like an ocean, be warm. 